Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Manhattan's Lincoln Square has come a long way since its depiction in the musical West Side Story. A major redevelopment plan began in 1996, and one of the many partners helping with Lincoln Square's growth has been Fordham University. Today I'm speaking with Monica Blum, the president of the Lincoln Square Business Improvement District, about the evolution of the area. Then WFUV's Marissa Galdi looks at the resurgence of a New York City bird whose population was almost wiped out. But first, Monica Blum. Good morning, Monica. Good morning. So what was the Lincoln Square neighborhood like just before redevelopment began in 1996? Well, um... The one thing I will say is that there was some there was some redevelopment beginning slightly before that in terms of some of the large residential buildings, uh, sort of at the northern end of the district. Um, but for the most part, um, there were not terribly many retail establishments. There were a handful of nice restaurants, but other than being a cultural destination for Lincoln Center and an educational destination because of Fordham, um, there wasn't a lot to bring people here. So it really was um, mostly a cultural and entertainment hub. Um, I will say that um, ABC's been in this neighborhood since 1947, I think. So um, they were the first, um, I would say, media company that came here. And Lincoln Center, of course, came um, many, many years ago. But in around 1996, which is when I started in this job, actually, there was development taking place. And the association, the predecessor to the Lincoln Square Business Improvement District, um, was formed about three years or two and a half years before that, and um, that included uh, Lincoln Center, Fordham, WABC, the Empire Hotel, um, a couple of other major property owners, Millennium and Milstein, and they were the people that felt a business improvement district was needed to help beautify the neighborhood um, was not terribly attractive. Again, Lincoln Center was beautiful and Fordham was beautiful, but the Broadway malls that ran uh, the, along the spine of the district were weed-filled and barren, very unattractive. And so there wasn't, there wasn't a lot other than Lincoln Center and Fordham. And that's really why they formed the bid. They wanted to make it clean, safe, and beautiful. And as I said, uh, Fordham was one of the founding members. Now, how has the Business Improvement District grown over the last few years? We started with a very small, and I'll never forget this, when I first started the job, um, one of the people interviewing me, one of the board members, said this is a high-profile neighborhood with a very small budget. And we had a very small budget for um, a rather ambitious program, which was to have people sweeping the streets, making sure there was no litter, bagging the litter. Uh, we had security to make sure that the neighborhood felt safe, although it was relatively safe. Um, you know, the people, this helped bring a sense of security, and our security officers really functioned as ambassadors um, because they're unarmed, of course, and they're the eyes and ears of the police. So our budget was small, and we have grown. Our budget's now doubled, but that's taken 16 years. And the other thing that uh, I think the other growth has been twofold. We, we raise a lot of money for beautification, private support from nonprofits and from businesses. 
um, and foundations. And we also now produce a huge event. Actually, this is the 12th year, so, you know, it's but it gets bigger and bigger each year, Winter's Eve at Lincoln Square. We have lots of marketing materials to help promote the neighborhood. We have Fashion Week now. Um, there's been lots of new de- recent development. I mean, Fordham is about to or is in the process of um, redeveloping. There are going to be more residential buildings. And, of course, Time Warner Center. We have wonderful restaurants. We have lots and lots of retail. And it's no longer just a cultural uh, and educational hub. It's it's a real uh, destination for culture, for dining, for education, for shopping, for everything. And Monica, you said that this Lincoln Square area was a high-profile neighborhood. What made this a high-profile neighborhood? Well, it was always high-profile. Frankly, Lincoln Center was built in 1960, you know, or the groundbreaking was 1964. And it is the largest cultural uh, performing arts center in the world. And even though I like to think we're, we make it happen here, the reality is Lincoln Center is what drew so many people. And I think Fordham as well. I think that the development of Lincoln Center and Fordham and ABC being a major anchor here, those were what made it high-profile 16 years ago. It just didn't have all the other things that it now has. Um, and pedestrian traffic has increased incredibly. Don't ask me for a number because <laughs> I can't, we don't, you know, we count with clickers. And so it's not, it's, it's really anecdotal. But we see the streets are really crowded. Um, we've put on uh, one of the probably one of the most accurate measurements is that I've had to increase the number of cleaning people that we have working for us because we want to keep the streets spotless. And so we, our budget now, um, a large portion goes to cleaning. It, it's just changed dramatically. Take it back a bit to Fashion Week. So yes. Fashion Week is at Lincoln Square every year now. Yes. So what was your experience like this year? It was great this year. I mean, it's it really brings something to the neighborhood, even though it's a it's a trade event and, as we call it, a business-to-business event. It brings an excitement to the neighborhood twice a year that we didn't have before. So it brings a lot of synergy to the neighborhood and, I think, a lot of revenue um, as well. And how is Fordham related to the well, Fashion Week? Fordham's been terrific, and it goes to the issue of revenue um, because Fordham is really impacted in many ways by, you know, the fact that the tents are right there. Um, but they, this past year, they had their business students do um, an economic survey. Um, to, on? To, uh, on the economic impact of Fashion Week um, in Lincoln Square. And we helped with that. We, we really helped um, or tried to help. Uh, open the doors to the businesses because it's not easy. I think they used uh, graduate business students and also undergraduate students to try to talk to people in the businesses. And as I said, that's not an easy thing to do. So we helped, we sent out the survey for them. We helped uh, give them updated lists. When are the results and due? The the results came out. They, the results came out. What did they um, find? They found that um, it brought a huge amount of revenue 
to the neighborhood. Um, Do we have numbers? Or well, their their numbers, and I have to say these are not my numbers. Um, you know, I I'm I'm really not an expert in this in the economic field, and um, I think a lot of it was. Um, uh, not anecdotal, but in other words, they extrapolated. But they're saying that it brought $40 million annually to Lincoln Square. What they found was, and we saw this too, you know, the crews are here for six weeks, twice a year. So it's 12 weeks of people setting up the tents, setting up what goes inside the tents. And those people particularly would go to neighborhood places um, to eat. Some stayed here. Um, and we created, um, we created a special program that I call Lincoln Square Crew Cuts, which was designed for the crews specifically. Um, we got, this last time around, we got 15 local little places, you know, delis and places like that where um, the designers might not go, but the crew went. We got them to offer discounts to the crew. All they had to do was show our flyer or some ID and, you know, all the local, little local places that we had never been able to engage before participated. And that's great. So, you know, I think the, the Fordham study, um, while I don't know whether the numbers are right on target, certainly um, it makes sense to me that that Fashion Week would have a huge economic impact on the neighborhood. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon speaking with Monica Blum, president of the Lincoln Square Business Improvement District, about the redevelopment of the Lincoln Square area. Now, Monica, the Lincoln Square bid which you had is broken up into a number of divisions. So tell me about each division. For example, let's start with public safety, because a lot of people might not know exactly what you do. Right. So let's let's talk about the public safety aspect of this. Okay. Well, the mission of the bid is clean, safe, and beautiful, and then to promote uh, all the retail establishments and all the wonderful assets of the bid. So um, our public safety program, which I have to say has uh, over the years, it's not grown because, in fact, the neighborhood is safer, I think, than when we started, significantly safer. We have 10 uniformed officers who um, are out from 10 o'clock in the morning until midnight, generally. I think Police I'm, officers or security guards? No, these are security officers. I call them public safety officers. They are unarmed. They're uniformed, but they're sort of elegantly uniformed, I like to think. You know, they look spiffy, um, and they're user-friendly. So um, people go up to them and ask, where is Fordham, or where is Lincoln Center, or where is the Film Society? And they're supposed to know, and they do know, um, because we test them sometimes. <laughs> um, so they're a presence out there, and they do also... Um, assist if they see a crime or if they, in fact, one of our officers did see um, a crime taking place, uh, I think this was in June, or, and he he called 911, and or he actually went over and saw a, um, a police officer on his bicycle and notified him of what he had seen, and the end result was an arrest of two people stealing stuff from the gap. So it was it was great. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. But they'll help if someone's in distress, if someone trips. 
recently I saw one of our security officers, I was thrilled by this actually, I saw him escorting a visually impaired person across the street um, because we have the Jewish Guild for the Blind in the neighborhood and so there are a lot of people who are visually impaired. Um, so, you know, I didn't tell him to do that, but that's part of his job, to help the public. So 10 of them out um, seven days a week, as I said, from 10 until about midnight, I think Saturdays until 1. And they also make sure that our information carousels are stocked with material. They um, check on, we have tables and chairs out at two parks and umbrellas. They check on all of those things for us. So that's the public safety program. And that's pretty important also coming, uh, I'm not from New York City. Right. And often when you're wandering around trying to find your way around, you're not sure who you should ask directions right. from. You know, does will somebody know or will they point me in the wrong direction? Right. How safe am I? So that's that's pretty important to have it, for, for people visiting the area. It's great. And, um, you know, I think both... Fordham and Lincoln Center have their own security, but they don't come off the campuses. So our people are really out on the streets telling people where to go. And I see that as their main purpose. I don't see them as, you know, they, they do chase people from who are riding bikes illegally on the sidewalk because that's one of my pet issues. <laughs> but they're really not, um, you know, they're, they, are, they are a deterrent to crime, but we have a great police department, so... More. So like the helpers. Yeah, ambassadors. And you also have an area maintenance division. What's that? Yes. So we have, and both of these, I should say, are not, they don't work directly for me. They're under contract with our organization. So they're not my employees, although, frankly, you know, some of, in area maintenance particularly, some of them have been with us for 10 years. About half of them have been with us for 10 years. I feel like they're my employees, but they're not. <laughs> Anyhow, so we, we have 14 people who work from 7 in the morning until 9 at night. They sweep the sidewalks and they go 18 inches into the curb. Um, so, you know, if there's litter in the curb lane, the curbs, they sw- sweep that up as well. They shovel snow during our, we had several snowmageddon blizzards this year. So they'll shovel the crosswalks, the hydrants, um, the bus shelters. They'll They'll make sure that People can move safely. They clear the paths in the parks as well. Um, they remove graffiti, although we don't have a lot of graffiti, and they clean our garbage. That we, we also paint the garbage pails. We um, many About 10 years ago, we purchased um, attractive garbage, if you can call a garbage can attractive. We purchased more attractive garbage cans, um, but we've kept our garbage cans looking beautiful because our maintenance people paint them and wipe them down every day. So, you know, we, we really pay attention to detail. We paint light poles. We, you know, we, we make sure everything is spotless. Because it's more inviting that way. Yes. Well, I think, you know, there's the, the broken windows theory. Um, there was a book when I started. It was one of the sort of mandatory reading in, in this profession of business improvement districts that talks about how a, a neighborhood that takes care of the broken windows and the litter is a neighborhood that cares. And so that's really been what's motivated us um, 
you you come into this neighborhood and you know that you're in a special place, or at least I think you do. And you know that it, that this community is going to take care of itself. Right. And there, if you move into that neighborhood, you'll be taken care of. Absolutely. Right. And what's um, Fordham's role with the Area Maintenance Division? Well, Fordham, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar but with, with bids, but nonprofits do not pay the assessment. So No, I'm um, not familiar. What does that right. mean? Right. Well, property owners... Uh, when they form a bid, it's a voluntary organization when it starts. But once it's formed, it becomes, it, you, if you're within the boundaries of a bid, it's mandatory. And you pay an assessment based on, in our case, we have a, an unusual formula, but you pay an assessment. If you have um, commercial property, you pay an assessment based on the commercial square footage. If you have retail property, you pay on the retail square footage. And in our case, we also have an assessment for garage space. But all because nonprofits do not pay real property tax, they are not assessed. So Fordham and Lincoln Center did not or do not pay the annual assessment that ABC pays and Millennium pays and Time Warner. So what when we started, we did get commitments from those two major nonprofits that they would give us support in kind, um, and it wasn't spelled out. And so one of the first things I had to do when I started in this job was meet with um, Fordham at the time and say, you know, you agreed to be supportive. Uh, here's how we'd like you to help. And so Fordham has provided a field location for our area maintenance from day one, really. Um, and that's incredible. I don't pay rent. They let us use space um, for our clean team, which is terrific. And, of course, um, in this development, you know, now they're in the middle of development, and um, where we used to be housed is no longer available, but they came up with a smaller space, but still space for our clean team. And it's great. I mean, that's worth a lot, you know, when you think about that. And then Fordham's done a lot of other things. They're very supportive of Winter's Eve. They sponsor Winter's Eve. So it's a way for Fordham to also take part in being part of the community. Well, yes. I mean, Fordham is very much part of the community and also very much part of our organization. And continuing with the uh, Lincoln Square bid divisions, we talked about streetscape and beautification earlier, but what's destination marketing? Well, destination marketing is um, we want people to know what's here. So we have a map. We've done a map for, that was one of our first projects. So we we print uh, about 150,000 copies a year of, or maybe a year and a half, uh, 150,000 copies of an updated map and guide. We list everything in there. So we list every business, every institution, educational, nonprofit, uh, everything, from shoe repair to nail salons to fancy restaurants. And we distribute that all over the place. And one of the things we do, for example, this is where we work closely with both Fordham and uh, Lincoln Center and everybody else, actually. But we we make sure that we get that map in the hands of the, when new students come, starting in the fall or whenever. Um, you know, we work closely with Fordham and get the map in the hands of the new students. We also do um, 
we have a Where to Eat, which is probably our most successful pu- uh, publication. Again, I don't think because there's so many restaurants in New York right, City. Right. Now we have a lot of restaurants. I think there are about 75 in the Where to Eat, um, and some of them are just outside our our borders because, you know, there's some good ones a few blocks away. Um, so, again, that's promoting this neighborhood as a dining destination. And then we have, we, we're very, you know, we have a website that lists all the, um, everything, um, all the businesses, all, it, it's a very detailed website. We post events on that. So all of that is what I would call destination marketing. But we have a rather, our marketing budget has grown over the years, and our um, Winter's Eve is, you know, is part of that to let people know that this is a great neighborhood and there are all sorts of things you can do here. Now, Monica, you mentioned earlier about, you know, some of the big name places um, around Lincoln Square. Most people know about Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. But what are the names of some of the other memorable or popular places people may or may not associate with the Lincoln Square area? Some of those, you know, places that people don't might not really know about. Well, um, I think uh, there are things in Time Warner Center that people might not know about. Um, like what? In addition to, of course, everybody knows about jazz at Lincoln Center, but, you know, there's, a, there's an educational center inside jazz at Lincoln Center. So there's a whole educational center museum. It's like a museum. That, you know, you can go and learn about jazz. Um, there's a lot of public art in the neighborhood that people might not know about. Um, although we've done, um, we did an age-friendly brochure that uh, listed some of the public art, and we're going to do something else, a, a more extensive brochure. There are some interesting sculptures that people might not know about in Lincoln Square that we try to promote in our little parks. You know, we have the bust of Richard Tucker, we have Dante. And then, you know, I think there are um, there's some smaller nonprofits. I mean, everybody knows about Fordham and everybody knows about Lincoln Center. But what I think people don't know about is within Lincoln Center, there's some smaller things that not everyone knows about. So Film Society of Lincoln Center, which has just undergone a huge renovation and expansion, has a nice little restaurant, too. So I think there, you know, there are a lot of Juilliard, things like that, that people might not immediately know about. Now, Monica, most people think of the Rockefeller Center tree is like the only show in town, but you have your own tree lighting planned, right? Yes, we do. So I'll, I'll just give you the history of this. Uh, Winter's Eve started 12 years ago. That was the first time we did it. And when we did it, Lincoln Center had a tree lighting ceremony. I went to that 13 years ago, I went to Lincoln Center's tree lighting ceremony, and everybody was standing around afterwards. It was just a half-hour little thing. And everybody was standing around afterwards saying, what do we do now? What do we do now? So we created Winter's Eve to give people something to do after the tree lighting ceremony. So every year, it was a wonderful event. We, our whole goal was to activate all the, all the spaces in the neighborhood, public spaces, the parks, the um, public atriums and, you know, stores. We had performances in stores everywhere, on the streets, sidewalks. And then four years ago, Lincoln Center decided to cancel its tree because they were in the middle of renovation, and they've never done a tree since. So I 
decided four years ago that the neighborhood needed a community tree. And we started with our own little tree ceremony, but it's a much smaller tree. And, you know, it's supposed to be about a 25-foot tree. Um, And we do it in conjunction with the Parks Department. They install the tree for us. And we do it at Dante Park, which is right across from Lincoln Center, right near the Empire Hotel. And um, we do a short tree ceremony with performances. And um, after that, Winter's Eve takes over. So, Monica, if I'm a person who never heard of Manhattan, never heard of New York, Mm -hmm. How would you describe the Lincoln Square area to me to get me to come to this part of the city? Well, I would first tell you that we consider it the gateway to the Upper West Side. It's unlike any other neighborhood. And it's also, I think, one of the things that distinguishes this neighborhood from other neighborhoods where there are business improvement districts is that we not only have um, educational institutions, cultural institutions, media media giants, because we now also have Time Warner and CNN and ABC, um, but we also have a very large residential population, and that's unusual. So, you know, if you want to live here, it's all here. If my listeners want to know more about Winter's Eve, where should they go? Well, they should go to www.wintersEve.org. It's Monday, November 28th. Uh, starts at 5.30. I want to thank Monica Blum, president of the Lincoln Square Bid. Thank you, Robin. This was very interesting for me. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. If there's one bird New York City is known for, it's the pigeon. But another, whose numbers were dwindling, is making a strong comeback in New York in recent years. WFUV's Marissa Galdi reports on the double-crested cormorant. Walking along the Hudson River in New York City, it may no longer be considered strange or uncommon to spot a double-crested cormorant. The diving bird was once threatened by the use of the pesticide DDT, but their comeback, especially over the last few years, has been catching birdwatchers' attention. It doesn't take binoculars to make out the bird's distinct black, stocky bodies, striking orange-yellow throats, and particularly long necks. Leslie Day is a writer, naturalist, and science teacher. She spent much of her life bonding with the Hudson River in a unique way. She lived on a boat at the 79th Street Boat Basin in Manhattan for 30 years. I sat on a dock and talked with Day about her personal up-close experience with the double-crested cormorant. She describes the diving bird in a praising light. They are beautiful birds. They're quite large and prehistoric looking. They have beautiful emerald green eyes. The cormorant's green eyes aren't the only thing that makes them stand out. Unlike most birds, their wings aren't waterproof. Day says she would usually see them perched on pilings, telephone poles, light fixtures, and buoys with their wings spread out to dry off. The bird eats fish and will dive underwater for up to three minutes at a time. Day used to watch as the bird would disappear under her boat and come up with a big eel. It would struggle in their gullet and you could see it going down, down their esophagus. Susan Elbin is the Director of Conservation and Science for the New York City Audubon Society. She's been researching and studying double-crested cormorants in New York Harbor for the last seven years. She says the cormorant population had declined, 
when the pesticide DDT was still persistent in the environment. They had thin eggshells and couldn't incubate their young, and young would hatch with deformities when they were incubated. The cormorants would get sick when they ate fish, about a pound a day, that were tainted by DDT. But Elbin says the Clean Air Act and the banning of DDT helped clean up the harbor, resulting in the cormorant's success. Much of what scientists and researchers in New York have learned about the double-crested cormorant comes from biologists in the Great Lakes region, where the birds have been abundant for years. They say the birds are harming vegetation. Because the birds nest in a concentrated area, the pileup of feces can cause trees to die and eventually fall over. And sport fishermen in the Great Lakes complain the birds' eating habits are wiping out their game fish. Susan Elbin says people hear about these problems in the Great Lakes and assume they're happening in New York Harbor. Efforts are underway in the Great Lakes to control the birds' impact, but Elbin says so far, her studies show there's no reason to do that here. What we're finding is that the cormorants will eat whatever's plentiful. They're not going after the game fish. The fact that there are fish in the Hudson for the cormorants to eat is a marvel in itself, according to Nicolette Witcher. She works at Hudson River Park on Manhattan's west side. As vice president of their Environment and Education Unit, she's often asked by New Yorkers whether there's anything alive in the Hudson. She says now people see the shorebirds like the cormorant diving for food, and it's a great reminder the river is still alive. I know it seems like a funny question, but it gets asked fairly frequently because there is still this mentality that uh, the Hudson is a very dirty, polluted place and that there's just no fish in there. Studies show there were 1,300 pair of double-crested cormorants nesting in the New York Harbor this year. I'm Marissa Galdi, WFUV News. You can hear Forum Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. on 90.7 WFUV or at WFUV.org. Stay with us, George Bodarkey and Cityscaper next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.